Welcome into College Basketball Recruiting Weekly, albeit a remote episode, but we've got a really good one. We're going to tackle two big subjects for you this week. The first is international recruiting. If you have been following college basketball recruiting, you know there are more international prospects than ever coming to play college basketball next year, and a lot of them came late in the recruiting cycle. Now, our policy here at 24-7 Sports, we wait until international prospects commit to play college basketball before we include them in their rankings. UCLA's got four players coming. Kansas has got a notable late addition. We're going to tell you where they fall in those rankings. Then, we are going to talk about G League Ignite. The NBA's development program has evolved quite a bit in the three plus years they've been around. And right now they are involved in the recruitment of a number of top unsigned and maybe a committed or two rising senior. We're gonna dive into what we've seen from them in the last few years and who we can expect them to target in this recruiting cycle. All that and a lot more is coming up next. Now, if you followed this show, you know that Johnny Furphy was one of the hottest international prospects in all of grassroots basketball this summer. In fact, he came over with the NBA Academy squad. He played with them last year. We've talked about it on this show. It's really an incredible story. He was perceived as a mid-major prospect before the NBA Academy games in Atlanta. His stock absolutely blew up, went to the very highest levels. He ended up returning to that class of 2023 with the intent to enroll in college right away and had the bluest of the blue bloods all looking to get his services. Kansas came out the big winner and now he is on their campus for this section of our discussion. We welcome back in Eric Bossy, Travis Branham, as well as Kansas's beat writer for 24-7 Sports, Michael Swain. Michael, thanks so much for joining the discussion. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. So Trav, I want to start with you because I think you have seen Furphy more and longer than anyone dating back, correct me if I'm wrong, but to last summer. And we've talked about this on the show before, but the jump that he made in the last year, even from, from this past winter to this summer, can you talk about just how much improvement he's shown in the recent years and months? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going back to my first viewing of him, what really stood out was the size and athleticism that many people, it, it, it's the first thing that jumps out to him. Uh, six foot seven, six foot eight, can run the floor, finishes high above the rim. And he shows flashes of skill with his ability to put the ball on the deck and also stretch it out and make shots from three. He showed a lot of these flashes, but I would say all the pieces of his game hadn't really come together. Um, and while we were all sitting together, me and you were sitting together watching him, Adam, along with a bunch of coaches, and he caught the eyes of a bunch of those mid-major coaches. Uh, but frankly, after about two, three months on the recruiting trail, his recruitment really died down. That's what ultimately led to him reclassifying to 2024 because the opportunities just frankly weren't there. And then what we saw, what we saw, he comes to the NBA Academy Games in July down there in Atlanta. And all those pieces and all those flashes that we had been seeing, they all meshed and came perfectly together. Now Kansas is getting this versatile and skilled wing. You can get up and down the court, put the ball on the deck. He's comfortable passing the basketball. He's also a very consistent, reliable shooter from three. The next step in his development is getting stronger. He's still very thin and slender, but getting in that college weight room this year, especially with a very deep and stacked Kansas basketball team this upcoming season, it's going to allow him to take some time to really get stronger and come into his own. And I would envision his role growing throughout this. So yes, you're absolutely right. Took a massive leap. And now those schools who backed off of him in April and May 
are absolutely beating themselves up because they could have gotten a top 50 player and nobody had, would have known about it. Yeah, I was just saying, I, I'm envisioning some mid-major assistant having to answer to his boss, you know, six months after he told his, his boss that Johnny Furphy wasn't good enough, and then he goes to Kansas. And, and Michael, this is where I'd love you to interject, because it sounds like, I know he hasn't been on campus that long, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but he did not go on that foreign tour, if I'm not mistaken, but it sounds like the reviews are just as optimistic since he's been to campus. What are you hearing in Lawrence so far? Yeah, the expectation is that he's going to be in the rotation from the get-go. I think you'll see over the course of the season as he acclimates, as Travis mentioned, as he gets stronger, I think he'll grow into the year. But he has the skill set that right away is going to fit in with this Kansas team. You've got some really good passers and Dewan Harris. K.J. Adams has been compared to someone like Draymond Green with his passing ability. Then you've got Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCullough. A lot of guys that are good at passers and with Johnny Furphy being the good slasher that he is, the good shooter that he is, I think he's the type of guy that can really fit a role coming off the bench, can say and play within that role. And then as the season goes on, really expand. It wouldn't shock me if maybe in the first month of the season, it's 10 to 12 minutes. And by the end of the season, it grows beyond that. I think he's the right type of player for Bill Self. And I think if you're going to pick the type of role player that you want on this roster that is old, that is experienced and has good passers, it's someone like Johnny Furphy. So I think overall, he's someone that so far, it's going to take some time acclimating. Ramsey Nijem, the strength coach for Kansas, is going to have a lot of work to do with them. But he's someone that Bill Self compared to Christian Brown and Svima Kailuk. So, I mean, those are two guys that are in the NBA right now. And I know Bossy has mentioned in the past, too, NBA scouts are really interested in him. But so far, it's been a good start for him in Lawrence, and it seems like he's going to have a pretty good role on this year's team. Yeah, so you, you brought me to my next question. And, and Bossy, I, I want to ask you this because – you have pointed out that Kansas has a deceptively good track record of recruiting international prospects. So this isn't really as unexpected as some act like it is if you've really been following what Bill Self and his staff have been doing over the years. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Um, you know, it hasn't always been necessarily guys that came directly from overseas, but you look back their first national championship team, really one of the very first guys Bill Self ever targeted was Sasha Khan, you know, a Russian big man who was on that 2008 national championship team. You know, Andrew Wiggins is technically international guy being from Canada. Joel Embiid, you know, Swain brought up Speedy McKaylook. They've had a lot of guys. They've had a lot of success with them. And, you know, they're also going to bring in another technically international guy with Flory Badunga coming in next year. So they haven't wholly relied on the international recruiting, but they've done a really good job of identifying guys with international roots that can help them and they can generally help them right away and have really impacted winning. And I think they've got that again with Burpee. Home, I'm sure you're saying, hey, those guys were playing here, but it, it's not always as easy as that, especially when they have family members overseas and you have to be able to, to kind of hit all of those push points in the recruiting process because whether the player is uh, currently international like Furphy or whether it's it's somebody like Badunga who's here but has family overseas, you have to figure out it's it's figure out who you need to talk to, how you need to get to them, how you need to communicate to them. So I think to your point, they've shown a lot of versatility in being able to to cover their bases in a lot of different situations. Michael, here's my question for you because I, I think you, phrased this really well. And it, it goes back to what Travis said about, you know, Furphy six months ago was a guy who was not necessarily a focal point for the NBA Academy and has a chance to play a somewhat similar role next year at Kansas, even though he became a focal point for the Academy over the summer. 
Um, what do we make of him defensively? Because anyone who's watched Bill Self, and I, I even said this uh, when, when Flory committed um, a couple of weeks ago, I said, listen, it, it's one thing to have all the tools, but you better be able to, to move into their system and to, to keep up with what they're doing, especially on that defensive end of the floor, if you're going to earn minutes. There's a very clear track record of being able to grow into a bigger role as you stay there, but you got to be able to, to kind of do the do the basics and and there's a high baseline there especially on that defensive end of the floor what is the word uh about that end of the floor so far well he's someone that's going to bring versatility and i think for me personally i'm fascinated to see how ku would use someone like furphy defensively i think the feeling is that they're going to go back to some of the hedge defense with hunter dickinson they're not going to have him switching five like they did kj adams last year so it's going to be a question of okay in terms of the basketball intelligence the iq can Furphy adapt to that where you're not switching all the time? It's going to be much more tagging a man down low and then getting back out to the perimeter. And I think Furphy, by all accounts, has the basketball IQ to get that done. So I think for me, right, it's just you know, earning trust over the next three, four months, heading into this season, heading into conference play, because we've seen in the past players that don't take advantage of those minutes early in the season, you lose trust with Bill Self. It's really hard to get it back when the bullets start flying in conference play. So for him, it's going to be about really showing that basketball IQ, the ability to take on the defensive role and really embrace it because he's not going to come in and be a star right away. But if he sticks to that role and does it well, yeah, there's a big role for him on this team. And so I think for him defensively, he's got the length, he's got the athleticism, the ability to slide. And it's really just going to be about, can he put it together mentally in the college game to be really able to earn that trust of the coaching staff? All right. Well, as far as the rankings go, we inserted Furphy at 34th overall in the class of 2023. After those UCLA additions, his final spot is going to be 35th overall. And as Travis said, if you saw him play in January or February, you would have thought that was uh, not a possible outcome. But this guy has gotten better by leaps and bounds. And ultimately, your rate of improvement may be the biggest indicator for future success. So certainly a lot for Kansas fans to be excited about. Make sure you follow 247sports.com, not just to see these final 2023 rankings with all the international prospects uh, finally inserted, but to see all the preseason coverage, the recruiting coverage, the NBA draft coverage. We've got you, uh, got everything there for you, 247sports.com. Between NIL, the transfer portal, fifth-year eligibility from COVID, we have never seen this much roster fluidity deep into the summer. Different coaches are evolving in different ways, and we've seen more of a commitment to late international recruiting than ever before. But the program that has led the charge in that effort has been UCLA and Mick Cronin with the help of former assistant coach Ivo Samovich. And now in this section, we are going to bring in the publisher of Bruin Report Online, Tracy Pearson, to join myself, Eric Bossy, and Travis Branham to break down what is suddenly now this international sensation of a recruiting class. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, great to be here. So we've got four guys from international ranks coming to UCLA. All of them, spoiler alert, are going to end up in our final class of 2023 rankings. Uh, Travis, I want to start with you in a seven foot three big man from Spain named Adai Mara. What do we know about this guy? Like you said, seven foot three out of Spain. I got a chance to see him actually in Spain last summer at the FIBA U17 World Cup. And he was one of the standout performers, in my own opinion, when I got to see him. 
great size, extremely skilled. His role in that team was a bit evolving. There's there's nights out there. He had a little bit more of a limited role, but other nights he really shined. Uh, great hands, touch, sees the floor, can pass well for the position. He, he showed flashes of ability and upside to step outside and knock down shots from three. When you look at his size and his length or and skill set and what he can provide to a college basketball team as he continues to evolve physically, at the time he was a bit thin and physically immature, uh, but as he gets stronger and more mobile, this is a kid that could be an absolute star for UCLA and a guy that we uh, will not be shocked to see ending up on NBA draft boards. All right, Tracy, I know he has not yet arrived on campus yet, but I also know you talk very frequently to the UCLA staff and you have access to a different caliber of information uh, on the local front than so many other people do. What are people saying about this big fella? Well, it's kind of ironic. He's from Spain and they are in Spain touring right now, playing three exhibition games. So um, he's not enrolled yet. He'll enroll uh, uh, September 5th. Um, they are very excited about him. Uh, they feel he's a one and done. He's that level of talent at seven and three, seven, three, incredibly skilled uh, for seven, three, uh, probably his best attribute. He's just an excellent passer. You can see the court from uh, top of the key. Excellent, excellent passer. Um, they're hoping they can get him for uh, a couple of years. Uh, all the indications from his family is he wants to be in Westwood for two years, but they're recruiting right now the 2024 class. Uh, kind of discounting in they're gonna that they're gonna lose. Uh, sorry, they're gonna lose him. He uh, he'll they think he's going in the NBA draft in 2024. All right, so here's my follow up question: How does he fit alongside a Dembona? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, they're both post players. Uh, they'll probably start with the two of them sharing the post, so 20 minutes each. Okay. Uh, they're both so talented, though. I could see them trying to get them on the court at the same time. Uh, that's kind of dependent, um, relying on the fact that a Dembona is just such a great athlete and who he could defend. He right. could defend power forwards, maybe, maybe even small forwards. So that enables that to happen. Um, the shot blocking, the playmaking, the alley-oops off to pick and rolls are just too good not to try to do that. They're too talented not to get them on the court at the same time. Got it. Got it. All right. We're going to shift uh, to another guy in this class, Berke Bayutanchel and Bossy again. I'm going to start with you. What is the background that we knew about this guy before? He, he's another one who hasn't yet arrived at UCLA, but what did we know prior to his commitment? Berke is an interesting guy. So he's he's a Turkish guy. He's six foot eight, maybe six foot nine. Very very skilled. He can shoot from outside. You can play him as a big three. You can play him as a stretch four. I had a chance, I've not seen him in person, but he is a guy that I've been able to watch some in FIBA action, not quite as extensively as you would hope, obviously, with him being an international guy and you'd like to see him in person, but they're really high on his ability to make some plays out of the high post to not only shoot, but be a passer, um, to find cutters and stuff like that. And what I've watched him in FIBA play looks to be really high IQ. He's got some mobility, some fluidity to him. He's a guy that you know, fits the mold of what you're looking for in these modern day foremen who can play with some versatility. And he's a guy who a lot of people feel is another one of these guys who has legitimate NBA upside when it's all said and done. 
So Tracy, I just asked how the two big fellows uh, would fit together, but it, it seems clear from Bossy's description that this is someone who can really fit alongside either one of those those big guys. But what are people in Westwood saying? Uh, the buzz with Berke is that he's an immediate starter, 30-minute okay. uh, a game guy. Um, Eric hit it right on the head. Um, he's kind of those that, that six nine kind of power forward that you just don't see in college basketball anymore. He can hit threes. He shot thirty seven percent over the course of a couple of summers from three. Has a back to the basket game. Also a great passer, um, great rebounder. They don't feel they'll have him for more than one season. They think he's a first round draft pick in twenty twenty four. Also, but um, right now, without him even stepping foot on campus yet, they think he's an immediate starter at the four. And now just a reminder in terms of our rankings policies, when we have international players, we don't include them in rankings until they commit. And in this case, we needed a little more information on these guys. It's one of the reasons for the show. We were able to do this deep dive, bring Tracy in um, and then insert them into that 2023 recruiting class with the die. He's he's. Um, He's going to crack the top 15 in our final 2023 rankings. And with Barricay, he's going to be in the top 40. Those are two players who, who could have, from what we're hearing, uh, realistic one-and-done expectations who are both going to get a chance to play major minutes. And so that will be reflected in the final 2023 rankings. But it is not just the front court that UCLA is rebuilding here uh, through the international ranks. It is also the wing and the perimeter. So, Trav, I'm going to go back to you about the 6'6", Alan Fubloy. And again, if I'm mispronouncing pronunciating any of these, I apologize. But 6'6", from France, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's another one that was in Spain when I was there for the FIBA U17 World Cup and another guy that immediately jumped out to me when I got to watch them. Uh, 6'6", dynamic three-level score. He shot 60% from three. It was on just 13 uh, attempts out there at the World Cup, but Shooting 60% is notable nonetheless. He showed his ability to make shots from three, get downhill, get out in transition, make highlight real plays, finishing high above the rim. He's a guy I think that will need a little bit more time to get acclimated, particularly get into the strength room, get stronger, build out his frame, and could be a guy that has a breakout sophomore season. He's extremely talented, and I think where we have him at, gonna be coming in around 43 when it's all said and done. He could be a bit of a sleeper and really surprise some people uh, down the road. Now, Tracy, this is a player who has arrived and who did take part in the foreign tour. What have we seen from him in these early reps with Mick Cronin's clubs? Yeah, the feedback out of practice is he's just going to step in and probably be the next Jalen Clark is how they're thinking about him. 6'6", six, six, uh, very quick, uh, very tough, likes to get up in guys on defense. Uh, likes to uh, jump passing routes, really looking at him first as the defensive stopper. Offensively, pretty raw. The shot, he'll hit a couple, and then he'll hit it off the side of the backboard was kind of the report I've heard. Um, but a Mick Cronin kind of kid, plays hard, tough-minded, physically tough. So they really like him. Um, yeah, but it, you're right. He's a, he's a multi-year guy. Now, as Travis said, he he debuted in the rankings at 41 overall, but when we insert his two teammates, he will organically drop back to 43. It's not because his his ranking or his evaluation changes. It's just because we're adding two more guys to the list. 
ironically, last but not least, is a player who has uh, been an international sensation this summer. Jan Vide, six foot five from Slovenia, was a star at the FIBA 19 and under games this summer, had at least Twitter and social media on fire with just the rave reports. And he is in some ways, Bossy, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's in some ways considered, I don't want to say the least of the four, but maybe, you know, not as hyped as the other three, which just seems incredible based on what we saw from him this summer. But is that, that an accurate reflection of what people are saying about him? I think that's a pretty fair representation of things. And it's a guy that when he when he signed with UCLA and committed to McCronin, I don't think many of us knew about much about him. You know, of course, people who focus on him internationally knew he had a chance to be pretty good. But right out of the shoot in the FIBA U19s, he got a chance to play against the USA, and USA could not contain this guy off the dribble. He gets downhill. He's attack. He's, he's attack. 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 He can play out of the pick and roll, but. He doesn't need a he doesn't need a ball screen to go and get downhill. You know he's strong, he's athletic, he's tough. Um, the shot making right now from deep is a little bit on the inconsistent side, but it looks like it's going to get there. He's got some he's got some playmaking, and he's another one of those guys. You know he's just he's just a tough dude who plays the physicality, and he kind of fits what you think of when you think of a Mick Cronin player. You know it's like it's just upgraded from what he's been able to get in the past at Cincinnati. You know, you're taking some of those principles and now you're at a blue blood and you're able to get a different level of player and you see it all coming together with this class, even though it's heavy on international. Now, Tracy, here's my question for you. He shines in that U19 FIBA play. He comes to UCLA, he practices, and now he goes on the foreign tour. So he's had a, a very busy summer, but what is the totality of the impression after we all saw the FIBA play? But since he got to UCLA, what are the impressions? Have they been quite as optimistic as we saw in that FIBA action? Um, they have. Uh, as Eric said, his his next level element of his game is to come off the pick and roll and just to get into the lane. He's got a series of pull-ups and floaters. And they said that is very real. That's been happening in, in UCLA's practice. So they've been very, very impressed with that. When he first arrived... He's a little bit. Of, he's making a little bit of a transition. Uh, a college game in in the United States is is more physical than what he's used to. Also, uh, Dylan Andrews, Sebastian Mack, able to take him like on a first step when he's defending them. But that, I guess, he improved on that very quickly within a few days. They've been very very impressed with with his toughness, his mental toughness, his physical toughness, uh, his motor. Um, also his height, um, it looked like he was six, four and a half to six, five, but I stood next to him. I saw him on campus. He's a good six, five, if not bordering six, five and a half. So they've okay. been very impressed with him. Uh, they think he'll get some time as a combo guard, uh, backing up Dylan Andrews, but also at the two guard spot, because even though he's an unreliable three point shooter right now, he's just one of those guys who can put the ball in the basket. He's just a scorer. All right, now for rankings purposes, he too is going to check in inside the top 70. You add Sebastian Mack to that, and that's five different players, four from the international ranks, that will be ranked within the top 70 in UCLA's class. Um, I have one more question, and Tracy, I, I will start this uh, with you. When Mick Cronin first got the UCLA job, people wondered if he was going to be able to recruit at that level. Um, he not only did that, but he exceeded all expectations. I think when he hired Evo, there was, again, some questions about whether or not he was really not only able, but willing to really uh, 
really invest in the international market? It appears that he has answered that challenge as well. But what goes in, what can we say about Mick Cronin, whether it's from a recruiting philosophy standpoint or just the ability to evolve with the times that's been most impressive about the way in which he, he's recruited in different ways? You know, it's really funny. UCLA, it's always been thought that it would be a, a program that could really recruit overseas. UCLA has a big reputation in Europe, all, all over the world. No one's really done it, though. Um, so when Mick Cronin arrived, he's re he's recruited pretty well. But, you know, be a little candid. He he missed on a few guys in the 2023 class. He decided decided to hire uh, Simovich and he pivoted to international recruiting and he pivoted in a big way. Um just the ability. Uh, so Ivo Simovich uh, started these recruitments, but Mick Cronin really sustained them. Uh, he uh, usually what recruiting classes, a lot of them get sewn up in November with the early signing period with these guys. He had to keep recruiting them through this August, not easy to get international guys into school generally, especially a school like UCLA navigating all their club teams in Europe could be a challenge. So it took a lot of work. Um, and in my opinion, I've been doing this a long time. One of the best recruiting jobs for a recruiting class that I've seen, just not the end result, but like you said, his willingness and his ability to pivot internationally was, was really phenomenal. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. I know we are all very excited to see what this uh, finished product looks like for UCLA next year. And that certainly is the case for NBA scouts as well. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about another program that has a major international addition to the ranks coming up next. If you watched college basketball recruiting last week, you know, we broke down the recruitment of the best available rising seniors in the country. And one program that continued to come up was G League Ignite. Now, this may be a little bit of a surprise to some because it wasn't that long ago that people thought G League Ignite's ability to get top high school talent was coming to an end with the rise of NIL. Of course, they answered those questions in a big way last year, getting guys like Ron Holland, who finished as the top overall prospect in the class, and Modest Buzelis, who has been mocked by some as a potential first overall pick in this year's upcoming draft. So the G League Ignite appears to be back in a big way. So, fellas, I'm just going to throw this out here to both of you. In the era of NIL, how are they still getting guys to skip college and go to Ignite if it's not even necessarily a bigger payday? Or is it still a bigger payday? I'll go ahead and start off. I think, one, the money, depending on who you are, is at least more than in the ballpark. And it's also guaranteed money because it's contracted. NIL still is a mm. theory of, hey, we think you can get to here when you come here. A collective can pay you so much, and then your agent can earn you this. Well, this with the G League, it's it's an actual contracted amount, right? So they've got that going for it. And also, let's face it, let's be real here. There are some kids who do not want to go to school. They don't want to pretend to go to school. They just want to hoop, and they want to get on with their professional lives. And that the G League has to sell on that is very, very appealing for those who – may not be hardwired to really want to go and try and play pretend student for a year. Yeah. Uh, Bossy said it. Some kids just don't want to go to school. The contracts are guaranteed and it's not like they're trying to load up an entire roster, just going one through 13 of top tier high school players. They only need about four to five. They found a great niche internationally. They have uh, clearly made a significant headway when it comes to NBA academies and, and grabbing out of, 
they're grabbing some of the top high school talent out of those. Uh, and then they're also adding in these uh, vet former NBA players, older guys who can really kind of bring these guys along and compete at the G League level. Um, so it's not for everybody, uh, but it is a situation where it's going to catch the eyes of quite a few of these players. And uh, you would imagine that there's probably more uh, players out there interested in going to the G League. But again, the G League is going to be selective in who they really target. Now, Trav, this is this is my question for you, uh, and you you alluded to it there. But is the expectation that they only want four or five guys from the high school ranks a year now? Is is that what is that what we're thinking with each class? Yeah, I would say they're going to be going at this very similar to what we see the Dukes, Kentuckys, UCLA's, these blue blood programs who kind of get the the opportunity to have their selection of the cream of the crop, if you will, because the Ignite has the resources the contracts available to target these high-level players. They're not going to go out and stretch themselves, and they're going to be selective, and they're only going to go after the best players who they project being future first-round picks because that is essentially what this whole uh, situation was built and designed for, is getting these guys, these high school, elite high school talent in the hands of the NBA so they can mold, develop, and get them better so they can have a longer, more successful and sustainable career. All right. Now that is interesting because we essentially have a three-year sample size for Ignite at this point. It started in that 2020 class and they got Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, and those were two of the top four prospects in the country at that point in time. Both chose to go to Ignite. Uh, they obviously went on to become lottery picks, second and seventh respectively. So that, at least from the outside looking in, looks like a good outcome for Ignite. The other two players who went in that 2022 class were Deshaun Nix and Isaiah Todd. Now, Deshaun Nix was committed to UCLA when he flipped, so to speak, and ended up going to Ignite. I think this is interesting because I think that's a precedent that we are continuing to see now. The, the difference, or maybe it's not a difference, with Ignite and some of those Blue Blood College programs that, that you mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, either one of you, Bossy, why don't you lead with this, but... I don't know that Ignite has, I don't want to say respect, but I don't know that a college commitment means anything to Ignite's recruiting efforts. If you commit to a college, usually it means other colleges stop recruiting you. I don't mean, I don't know that it means Ignite stops recruiting you. No, not at all. Um, they don't care about a college commitment and frankly, nor should they. They're running a business and their concern is, is making themselves attractive to talent, the best guys that they can get out of high school, and then preparing those guys for the NBA so that they can keep that pipeline rolling. So whether a kid's committed to UCLA or somewhere else, it, it shouldn't really matter to them because they're about getting the best of the best. You know, if that was their mindset, you know, maybe Ron Holland hadn't committed somewhere yet, but if their mindset was to leave a kid who looks like he might be going to college alone, then they don't get Ron Holland. You know, he's probably ended up at either Arkansas or maybe sticks with Texas, you know, and I guess he was committed to Texas, you know, obviously he had the coaching change, but they never stopped recruiting him even after he committed to Texas. So they've got to keep going after those guys because you've got to keep that, that, that train of talent coming in each year. And, you know, if they just let those guys go, then they're not going to be able to get the kind of product that they want to get. Well, I think that's the reality. And, and I, I don't want to put either one of you on the spot, but when we talk about who the G league ignite may be pursuing 
in the class of 2024. We talked a lot about those guys last week. We talked a lot about Trey Johnson, how they were as visible. And Bossy, you said it. They were more visible on the sidelines for him than arguably any other college program, really actively uh, recruiting him hard. Um, Travis, can you speak to, let's start here. Can you speak to which uncommitted players they are currently recruiting? And then maybe we'll circle into uh, if there's anybody committed that they are pursuing. Yeah, uh, we know three of the top top 15 players we have currently. Uh, BJ Edgecombe, one of the biggest stock risers we have seen in some time. Going outside, I believe, the top 100, and now he is cracking the top 10. Uh, absolutely outstanding athlete. He had them in their final, in his most recent list cut. Uh, alongside him is Asa Newell, uh, a six-foot-nine power forward out of Montbird Academy. Uh, he's long been a five-star recruit. He will be taking a visit out to the G League Ignite here fairly soon. And then uh, you said it, Trey Johnson. He was our, he was, was formerly our number one overall recruit. That has been a hot, hot rumor with him that he could potentially be leaning towards going to the Ignite route. So we'll see. But those are three guys that we know of for sure as of now. You know, I will say this without putting either one of you on the spot. I think Ace Bailey's a target. He's committed to Rutgers. Um, I'm speculating. I'm not reporting. But uh, I think Ace Bailey is someone that would make a lot of sense. And given, as you said, we've got documented history here that when high-profile prospects are committed to college coaches, it does not stop Ignite's efforts. Uh, we saw that with Ron Holland. We saw it with, with Deshaun Nix. And I think Ace Bailey could be another one to fall into that category. He would make a lot of sense. He's got a very high upside, as we've discussed, and both of you have discussed in, um, in a lot of detail on this show. All right, I want to end this discussion here. If you are a, a, a family of one of these players, you're undoubtedly going to look at the history. We mentioned that 2020 class, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, Deshaun Nix and Isaiah Todd were two prospects in that 2020 class that were perceived as five-star guys. Uh, Isaiah Todd at one point was the number one ranked sophomore in the country. Um, both of those players end up, in fact, Deshaun Nix goes undrafted. Isaiah Todd goes 31st overall. What's interesting, though, so on draft night, those guys are perceived as flops. They're perceived as, as things that don't bode well for Ignite. What's interesting, though, Deshaun Nix went on to sign a four-year, $6 million deal. Now, only 2.1 of that was guaranteed, um, but he has, uh, he has been able to maintain it. Isaiah Todd went on to sign a four-year, $6.9 million deal. All $6.9 was guaranteed. We should also mention he was traded a few different times. So... I'm not sure if they're, if that speaks to placement, but it does speak to their ability to, to stick in the league. And obviously, that's just year one. Real quickly, year two, we had Jaden Hardy. And this, again, the critics of Ignite will point to the fact that Hardy was fourth overall in that 2021 class. He went on to be the 37th pick in the draft. Scoot Henderson, conversely, he reclassed up. It was in the middle of COVID. He goes on. He was 13th overall. He goes on to be the third pick in the draft, my personal favorite for rookie of the year. And then last year, Leonard Miller, uh, after year, he goes 33rd overall, which I thought was a mistake. I thought he was a first-round talent. I think you're going to see him live up to that. And he signs a four-year, $8.3 million deal in the offseason. So, Bossy, I know not everything's going to be all good, not, not all bad. But from a parent's perspective, how do we evaluate the success or lack thereof of Ignite for, as Travis said, it is a sole objective here to get these guys to the NBA. So how do we evaluate the totality of their resume after three years? 
like you say, we're still working on a limited sample size right now, but in general, I, I think the track record is looking pretty good right here. Uh, you know, I think while say uh, Isaiah Todd or Dacian Nix maybe didn't get drafted the highest, or like I said, went undrafted, those were guys that I think by the end of their high school, I don't think we were looking at those guys and, and expecting them to be lottery picks had they gone to college. Um, you know, I don't think we saw that coming, you know, Todd, I think was another guy, you know, obviously heavily into college mixed with Michigan and everything like that. So the idea is they say we, we prepare these young men to be pros and they've been pros. And so far they've been right. You know, part of getting in the NBA is once you're there, it's your job to stick there, right? It's not mm. the job of the G League Knight to make sure you stick. It's not the job of Duke. If you went to Duke to make you stick, it's not the job of Houston. If you went to Houston, to make you stick, you know, you're a pro now. You're ready. It's your deal. And I think G League's whole sell here with the Ignite program is we're going to give you the best idea of understanding what it's like to be a pro because you're going to spend the one or two years in our program living that pro lifestyle, doing pro things, having a pro schedule on a daily basis. And to this point, they're guys that by and large been successful. You know, maybe Jaden Hardy didn't get drafted as high as he would have liked. But I think he's learned from that, and that guy is looking like he's going to stick and has shown some really promising moments late in his rookie year. So you'd like to always have more data, but I think so far so good for the Ignite. Trav, anything to add to that? I would just say, honestly, with Isaiah Todd and Dacian Nix, and uh, to me one of their biggest success stories is Marjon Bochamp. He was mm -hmm. a guy that, honestly, we were almost pointing to a, as a potential horror story with how his high school career went. He tried to sign pro early on to train for the NBA draft, went completely off the grid. Nobody heard or seen from him, tried to make a comeback and go back to college. Uh, that wasn't going to work out. He finds his way into the hands of the G League Ignite and finds himself as a first round pick. What they did with him and honestly, I would say they overachieved with a guy like Isaiah Todd as Bossy was saying, towards the latter half of his high school career, we were looking at him as a multi-year guy. He was a project. He had a lot to work on and a lot of areas of uh, to really grow. Um, and so the fact that he made uh, any sort of money into in, in the NBA after one year with the Ignite uh, is certainly notable in my own honest opinion. And same with Station Nix. Station Nix, frankly, he's one of these players, we, we say it a lot with big men, but I don't think we say it enough with guards. He was born in the wrong, uh, the wrong era, if you will. And six foot two, six foot three point guard. Yes, he's an elite. Oh, Travis, he's six five. He's six five. Ah, whatever. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Uh, yeah. But uh, a guy who can't shoot, never had, never was a shooter, um, and that was a huge flag for his game. Obviously, the body as well. But uh, when you're a non-shooter in today's era. Uh, you're frankly, your stock uh, has a very, very low limit. I will say this. I, I think sometimes, you know, context is everything so often. And sometimes the Ignite's biggest wins have been the ones that if you don't know the context, you don't necessarily know. You talked about Marjan Bochamp. Listen, Michael Foster, he was undrafted in 2022. He signed an Exhibit 10 with the Sixers. He played for the, uh, what's it called? The Delaware Bluecoats, I think, last year in the G League. So, you can look at it and say, hey, he hasn't had his payday. It didn't work for him. But what I can tell you, and, and having seen him in high school and seen the maturation he went through in one year with the Ignite, the change in his body, the change in his approach, he had a much better chance of getting drafted after that year 
than he did after his one year of high school. I'll also say this though. I think that like college teams, you know, these guys are playing a full schedule. And so putting players in positions to be successful, meaning who they're playing with and what that affords them in terms of, you know, concepts and strategies and schemes, putting them in a position to look the best they can. I think that's going to be an interesting part of, of how things happen this year for Ignite. Um, and as we continue to monitor how guys like Leonard Miller do in the league, uh, reason we're talking about them now, quite frankly, is, is twofold. One, they are a factor in the recruitment of a number of players at the top of the class of 2024, like we already mentioned. Two, they are going to follow the script of last year, and they're about to play a, a couple couple games against the Perth Wildcats, a doubleheader uh, next week. I believe it's in Las Vegas, and this is going to be a big attraction for NBA scouts. They're going to go get a, eyes on Ron Holland. They're going to go get eyes on Modest Buzelis. They're going to go get eyes on Dink Pate and everybody else they've got there. Um, and so you're going to hear a lot about G League Ignite um, beginning next week, and hopefully for us throughout the course of the year as we continue to follow them, both from a recruiting perspective and in terms of the NBA stock of the players already in their program. All right, that's it for this week's show. As always, thanks to Ebos and Travis for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this look at the top international prospects as well as the role that the G League Knight is now playing in the world of the NBA draft and high school recruiting. We will be back next week. And little, uh, little, little warning here, spoiler alert, it is almost rankings time. We'll see you real soon. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.